Now we know from the, the life account of Moses that he was 40 years in Pharaoh's court learning to, uh, basically learning to be the next Pharaoh because he was known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And God had given him the understanding that he would deliver Israel and he took that into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian where he, we saw them mistreating the Israelites. And so he spent the next 40 years in the desert and that was the time when God really prepared him for the work that he had to do. And we go on to read that he was, he was basically in overtime. Moses had written that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we had the strength. But Moses really didn't begin his ministry until he, he was basically living longer than he expected any man to live from what he wrote. And yet in those years he, he accomplished the greatest feat in human history. He led two million men through the desert. So along with women and children there was probably something like six million people that he led through the desert. But the point was that that, that, that 40 year period God taught him was because of the fact that he didn't do it God's way. He killed the Egyptian. He thought he would be the saviour of Israel and God prepared him for the fact that that God wanted him to be the saviour of Israel his way and we see the the same with Abraham and Ishmael and we you know we have this gulf crisis now because because basically of Abraham not waiting for the fulfilment of the promise of God so it's it's essential that we wait for God's timing when God has given us a promise and we're claiming it, we, we wait for him, we don't snatch hold of it. So it's essential that we, we do it the way God wants it done and we wait for God's timing in doing it. We have a four-year-old son, Michael, and we planted some tomato bushes, tomato bushes in the back of our yard. <laughs> And he came running in with one of those little green tomatoes. Tomatoes. (laughs) And as, as you look at that fruit, you know, it's perfect. It's, uh, for where it is in its stage of development, it's perfect. But it's green, you can't eat it. And if you eat it, you'll get sick. So the value of that fruit and its usefulness depends on the timing. And it's, and it's, the, the fact that it's, it's just ripe and ready to be picked. So timing on decisions is equally as important, important as direction. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And it does take courage to wait for the Lord, just to wait on his timing. I want to go now back to the second point of doing what God wants me to do. I believe God wants us to be involved in what he is doing. That's the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.10 says, Paul is writing, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And as we saw this morning in Isaiah 43 verse 10 where we are witnesses that we may know and believe him and understand that he is God in the same way God wants us involved in his kingdom so that we can know who he is and his wonderful plan of salvation for all of the earth 
that he's the God that loves and saves and gives and is the provider of everything that we have, that he's eternally perfect and holy. We need, we need to be involved in the kingdom of God so that we can know God. Otherwise, again, we're just out of step with what God is doing. We're not fitting into his, his perfect plan for us. And part of this is obedience. We need to obey him. John 14 verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So along with the obedience comes the depth of relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. It's an integral part of fellowship with God. And then we need to follow Jesus' example. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do we want to be fishers of men? That verse promises, follow Jesus and I will make you fishers of men. He will do that. We are living in the midst of the greatest rescue operation of all time. There is war raging all about us and many of us don't even know it. You know, it's the war of salvation, of saving souls. There was a story of a fellow in the army, in the British army, and his name was Paddy. And uh, the lieutenant came, a lieutenant came along and said, uh, gentlemen, we're outnumbered three to one. We're about to go over the top. It's going to be tough, but I want you to fight your hardest. So the whistle blew and they all went over the top and the, the battle was raging and the lieutenant looked around and here was Paddy standing beside a tree puffing on a cigarette. And he, he looked puzzled at this fellow standing up there, bullets whistling into the tree all around him. And he, he crawled over and pulled him down and says, Paddy, what do you think you're doing? He's puffing on his cigarette and he says, I've shot my three. Well, he didn't realise that the battle might endanger his own life. And that's what we need to keep in mind, is, is that we're in the battle not just for the cause, but we're in the battle for our own life. I'd like to read Matthew, or I won't read it actually, Matthew 24 talks about the last days, the things that we can expect to see in the last days. And as we do read through that, you might care to read it later and just examine what's happening in the world today in light of that passage of scripture. In 1989 there were over 600 earthquakes. There is pestilence running rampant in the world. AIDS is out of control in many countries. Wars are consuming our national resources right now. There are wars in many, many countries. Many are claiming to be the saviour, some are claiming to be the Christ. We're seeing that in our own generation, in our own day. There are famines. Over the last four years, more people have starved than any other period in history. And yet the world has abundant resources to feed its population. Yet, on the other side, there are people coming into the kingdom of God in unprecedented numbers. During a period of four weeks in Kenya, there were two plane loads of American evangelists from two churches in Texas. 
and they led 56,322 people to Christ. There are revivals in Poland, in Romania, following the political liberation of those two countries. There have been 36 million decisions for Christ as a result of the Jesus film, which is based on Luke's Gospel. That's one decision for Christ every 10 seconds. God is really working in our world. The film has been televised from Hong Kong, reaching 100 million people in the region. There's revival in Brazil, in New Zealand, in Salvador and Bulgaria. In India, Billy Graham preached a message entitled The Cradle, the Cross and the Crown to an untold audience of that country, a television audience. That was on Christmas Eve. Now when we were in India, we, we, uh, we had to be very careful about any witnessing we did. You know, we might win the person to Christ, but we could endanger the whole work. And yet Billy Graham was invited to show that film on the invitation of the Indian government and at the Indian government's expense. And that's, that's what God's doing. <laughs> that's just exciting. So the battle for souls is hotting up. In fact, it may not be too long before it's all over. But it's on right now. I'd like to read Revelation 7 verse 9. This gives us a picture of the completion of the Great Commission. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Here we see it before the throne, people from every nation and tribe and people and tongue, people and language standing before the throne. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. God will see to that. Here it is in Scripture. The question is whether or not we get to be part of the process. In order to be part of the process, there are a number of things that we need to be. Firstly, we need to be born again. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. By receiving Jesus Christ, we become the sons of God. First Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abideth forever. Basic qualifications for enlistment in the Lord's army. Now we may be involved in church, we may be involved in a fellowship group, but unless we have personally invited Jesus Christ to come into our life, we're not involved in what the Lord is doing. The second thing we need is we need equipment. Romans 15:14 says, I myself am con- convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now we see in that verse three areas. 
full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now goodness we saw this morning from 1 Timothy 1.5 is that the, the aim of our charge is love which issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And that goodness relates to our character. Is in our character and in our heart and in our relationship with God we need to be personally qualified in order to be used of him. We, we had the illustration of the clean vessel. We need to just be the clean vessel. We don't, we don't have to be a long way down the track before God can start using us. We just need to be available today, just, just right now, because he's given us the gifts, he's given us our testimony. Revelation 12.11 says about Satan, it says, and they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, which is the gospel, and, and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And we have the gospel of Christ. We've overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the gospel of Christ, by our word, the word of our testimony. We each have a testimony if we've received Christ and, and by our commitment, for they love not their lives even unto death. And we have those three powerful weapons at our disposal which defeat the enemy. Goodness is to do with our character. Secondly, complete in knowledge. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, the King James says. Although we're, although we're, we're made clean, we have the right character, we're working on our character, we also need to know the word of God, just so that we can use it. Someone will come up and say, well, you know why I'm not a Christian? Too many hypocrites in the church. Well, how do we answer a, a, uh, an objection like that if we, if we don't know the scriptural answer to that? Well, how can God be such a loving God and allow the things that happen in the world? The Bible has answers to this. And in order to, to, to meet people's needs and to minister to them just, just one-on-one, then we need, to, we need to look at the Bible, study the Bible, find out what the answers to those questions are. We need complete in knowledge. Second, competent to instruct one another. We need to have the ministry skills. Sherry and I spent about an hour just memorising and learning a little gospel illustration that we could draw out. If we were sitting in a restaurant, we could draw it on the napkin. If we were sitting in an aeroplane, we could draw it on the, the back of the something they give you in the aeroplane. And uh, it was just something that we had with us all the time. And, uh, and we've seen God use that. When there's been situations where we haven't had a gospel tract or we haven't even had a Bible, because we've memorised that little gospel presentation, God is able to use it. It's something that, that we have and, and it gives us confidence too. If there's somebody that wants to know how to become a Christian, if we talk to them and yes, they'd like to accept Christ, then, then we can show them what to do. You know, we can get up to that situation. And the time investment wasn't much, but it, we need to have ministry skills. And, and that's, that's what ministry skills are, is just learning how to, how to minister. Thirdly, we need to have commitment. I'd like to read a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 to 7.
You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. We have three pictures here of people in professional life. Firstly is the soldier. The soldier is fighting for his own life, so he'll keep his gun clean, he'll keep his kit in order, he'll just, he'll just really work at being a soldier because if he loses his own life, it doesn't matter to him what happens in the rest of the battle. He's fighting for his own life and then he's fighting for the cause. He's fighting for the cause of Christ. Then we see the exhortation here to be free from civilian pursuits. If he's going to be a, folk, uh, if he's going to be a, a soldier, he needs to be focused. He needs to know, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm working on winning this battle and not worrying about a whole lot of other things. He needs to be free of civilian pursuits in order to be a soldier. Then the athlete, he needs to run according to the rules. Again, in 1 Timothy 1.5, the, 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 the aim of our charge is love, which issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. These are God's rules and we need to, we need to run according to the rules, according to the way the word of God says we are to lead the Christian life. The farmer will receive first share of the crops. In Australia right now there, there are many farmers going broke simply because they happen to plant the wrong crops. We've had droughts and we've had floods and, and they've, they've planted uh, soya bean instead of wheat or the other way around and, and, and it's been a disastrous decision for them. And we face that in the Christian life as we have a choice of the crops that we plant. And I was sharing this morning about my business involvement. It's, you know, I'm getting a crop in the area of business, but it's, it's really hindering what I can do in other areas where I want to see fruit. And I'd, I'd hate to be 10 years down the track and look back and, and say, Lord, I've, I've sown in the wrong area. You know, no matter, no matter how earnest my prayers to God are, the crop won't change. Sure, he'll forgive me, you give me the opportunity to start planting in a new crop, but the fact is I've sown in that area and that's where I'll reap the fruit. So as we reflect on the things that we're doing now, are we, are we, really, are we really sowing a crop which is what we want to see reaped down the line, two to three years down the line or longer? The fourth thing we need is communication. Jesus Christ is the commander-in-chief. He is the one to be kept out front. Sherry's going to share in this area in just a moment. I'd like to just read Philippians 2, 9 to 11. 
that says, Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sherry. Have you ever had a verse branded into your heart? One that God just keeps bringing back to you over and over again. So you can't escape it. It's just there. It just haunts you. You wake up thinking about it. Well, get your Bible. Let's turn to Psalm 16.8. This is one that God has just brought to me over and over again. He has burned it into my heart until I can hardly stand it. It says, I have set the Lord before me always. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now when you start thinking about that verse, and you start dissecting it, and God begins to open it up and show it to you, it grips you. There's four things that the Lord brought to my attention. One is our focus. Secondly is our fragrance. Thirdly, is His faithfulness. And the fourth thing is our fulfillment. Our focus. I have set the Lord always before me. Now you and I both know that the Lord is always with us. Hebrews 13.8 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I thought about that, I thought, how can the Lord never leave me? Now that's a staggering thought. He says, I will never leave you. You and I both know that there's times that we feel like God is not even in Texas. We're here and He's not even in Texas. I feel so far away from the Lord. There's sometimes I pray and I feel that my prayers don't even get out over the ceiling. How can the Lord always be near me? I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. The Bible says that he knows when I walk. He saw me walk across the room. He knows when I sit. You too. He knows every one of you are sitting here. He knows when we stand up. In fact, He even knows what you're going to say before you even say it. He knows how many hairs there are on your head. And when you lose a hundred in a day, that's a lot of counting, isn't it? The Lord is always with us, whether we feel it or not. 
The interesting part to this verse, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the podium right here. Now, when I move away, where is it? It's right here, but it's not in front of me. Now, how can the Lord be always with me and I be moving around? I have set the microphone <laughs> always before me. Is that okay? Is that okay? Stand closer. <clears throat> Okay. How can I set the Lord always before me and move around? It's interesting. This word is actional. I have set the Lord before me. Now, He is always with me. He has a consciousness of my presence. Today, when we were sitting here, I was not aware of very many children at all. You know why? Because they're not my children. But every mother in this room knows where their children are. Especially if they're sitting right next to them and being naughty. You know the presence of the child whether you're looking at them or not. Now God knows where we are. He has that consciousness about us because we are his children. He also has our, his presence with us. Now that's factual. Why is it we do not have a consciousness about His presence? It's because it has to be a stake driven into our heart, a commitment of our mind. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord before me always. We have to drive a stake into the ground. Lord, teach me to have a consciousness of the reality of your presence with me always. So wherever I move, you're there. And I'm aware of your presence. I tell you that so grips me. It will revolutionize our whole life. If we can develop such a God consciousness about us that we feel his presence wherever we are. It's a point of will. I have set the Lord always before me. Not only is God near us, but he is our filter. Acts 17.28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. So God is with us. He is our presence. But he's also our filter. We filter everything through the Lord. It's like a shield. He surrounds us. When I have a problem or there's something on my heart, I filter it through the Lord. When the world approaches me, when it calls me to sin or to immorality or to stealing or theft or lies, I filter that through the Lord. And if it says in his Bible, I don't do that, we learned this morning to love the Lord is to obey his commands. So God is our filter. The world filters through God to us. I filter my life through Him. 
the key to materialism, the key to, Lord, why do I do? I'm not married. The key to, what career do I pursue? All of that goes through the Lord. God also determines our priority. If you remember in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Be careful. It's the little decisions that will get you. Be careful what you say yes to, because you might be saying no to something very, very important. It's a, it's a challenge to me when someone approaches me about doing something that I stop and I pray about it. If you don't have time to stop and pray about it, perhaps you need to be brave enough to say, well, thanks for asking me, but I need to pray about this. That's not a cop-out. That's filtering our life and our decision through the Lord. And it's those little decisions that will transform the major objective of your life. Little by little, you'll just get off the track. Pretty soon, you're following in a direction you never intended to go. Take time to pray over your decisions and wait on God. Like Jeff was saying, timing is so important. God is also the focal point of our life. Hebrews 12.2 says, and I love this verse. In the King James it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Another translation says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to run our Christian life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. How else are we going to finish the race? We don't know where we're going. Unless we're looking at Jesus and He is our target, we'll get sidetracked, not only with the little decisions we make, but also we won't have clear direction of where we're going. The only way to finish the race without a lot of detours is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And it's interesting, we sit here as husband and wife, as son and daughter, but, you know, when we go to heaven, we will not stand before the Lord as husband and wife, nor sons and daughters of my parents. I stand before the Lord as who I am, and I will answer to the Lord for what I have done. Not, I, I won't get off on Jeff's good behavior or because I was married to Jeff. That has nothing to do with it. I stand before the Lord on who I am and what I've done for the Lord. We need to work on our own deep relationship with the Lord. The strength of your church and the strength of our church is dependent on the individual believers having their own individual walk with God. Your pastors can't do it all. The needs are so great. There's a whole world out there, and it starts with the individual believer meeting those needs. That was our focus. Now let's change our thoughts to our fragrance. 
we do have an aroma. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Listen to this. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, but to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, we speak. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. We are men and women sent from God to stir up life or death to those we meet daily. I was sharing with you this morning about my uncle who came to Christ. Everywhere you go, you meet people. And it's a challenge to me to wonder, what am I stirring up in them? Am I stirring up life? Do they have a sense that there's something different about me and they would like to know what it is? Do I remind them that they're headed toward hell? Boy, what a challenge. You know, that's, that's why we need to take every opportunity we can to share Christ. We need to have a mindset to do that. But a warning. Be careful that your life is genuine and full of integrity because you represent the King of Kings. He compromises not. He is true and pure, and that is what we should be. What you are on the inside will eventually come forth and show what you really are like. So, Lord God, make me pure with a life of integrity. We have a friend in Australia who went to the gas station to fill his car up. And like everyone else, he got real impatient. It's probably an off day. But he became very short with the man who was serving him and was irritated with him and and sounded off. And then he got in the car and drove off. Well, no sooner had he driven a little ways, but the Spirit of God convicted him. He turned the car around, went back, and he said to the man, I'd like to ask your forgiveness for being unkind, irritated, and would you forgive me for that? Well, the guy could not handle that. He said, never in my life have I had anyone who came back and apologized to me. Who are you? What are you? And it wasn't long before our friend had he and his wife into Bible study. She became a Christian. No, sorry, he became a Christian first. From the testimony of this man, he was so attracted by this man. What is it? Fragrance of life? And then his wife became a Christian. 
You know, we just don't kind of take our Sunday school clothes off and that's it. All throughout the week, you are, you are emitting a testimony. What kind of testimony that is, I don't know. But let's make it one that convicts the non-Christians that they are missing something. And to those Christians who know the Lord, let's encourage them by our life of purity and integrity. I have another friend, Janet. I know some of you love to go shopping. Janet doesn't really enjoy shopping. And what she does is she prays, Lord, if there's somebody that you would like for me to meet today that I need to meet, perhaps to encourage or, you know, you have a plan for me, then arrange it. And she has said to me that most times that she has prayed that prayer, God has brought someone along. Whether it was a Christian who needed encouragement, whether it was an opportunity to share the gospel. And ladies, when you're sitting in that chair and that woman is doing your hair and you're paying her, get every opportunity you can in for the gospel. What's our verse? Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand. What? I will not be shaken. Let's look at the next part because he is at my right hand. We're going to go from the general, from focusing on God, down to the very specific. The significance of this line, because he is at my right hand, is in the position. It's found partly in his faithfulness. The position that he holds is one of love. We talked a lot about that this morning. God is love. He is purely love. He is not a tyrant, but a loving Father. The fact of God's love never changes. Psalm 21.7 says, For the king trust in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. The unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. His position is one of love. His second position is one of power. It's the position of power. 2 Corinthians 20 verse 6 says, O Lord, God of all fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. That's the position that he holds beside us. I will set the Lord always before me. He is near me, and I will establish my mindset for the reality of his consciousness. I will walk knowing that he is with me all the time. Because he is at my right hand, he owes the power of love and... He owes... Sorry... He has the power of power and love, the position of power and love is what I wanted to say. Psalm 20 verse 6 talks about the saving power again of his right hand. Then Jeremiah 32:27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? God 
through Jesus Christ stands at our right hand. Now, the Bible says we're going to have problems. There are going to be times when you think the absolute roof has fallen in. That you see no way out. Hold on to that verse. Jeremiah 32:27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? There is absolutely no problem that God cannot handle. The position he holds at our right hand is one of power, love, and strength. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Not long before Christmas, some friends of ours, little girl was walking across the road. The bus stopped at the wrong side of the road. Let her go across the road on a very busy highway and a car hit her. She was knocked unconscious. And when we went to see her, there was not a place on her whole body except on her little hand that you could touch. It was full of just tubes and machines and all kinds of things. Only seven years old. Now Jeff and I had the privilege of standing beside these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord while their little girl, they did not know, would live or die. In the morning they saw her and she was perfect. When they got word, she was unconscious, bruised. But did you know, not once did their strength in the Lord fail. Not once did they say, Lord, this is too much. I can't handle this. They took this verse literally apart. Because the Lord is, I will set the Lord always before me. And they did that. Boy, they turned their eyes on Jesus. Because He is at my right hand. And they did that. They needed His strength. They needed His power of healing. They needed His love. And today, people prayed for that little girl all over the world. In the United States, in England, in Australia. And she woke up. <laughs> Jesus has the power and the position of victory. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, no, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 15:57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not been seized by temptation, you will. That's a promise. But it's interesting. We do not like to be uncomfortable. And when Satan keeps bringing the temptations back 
Boy, we just do not like to be uncomfortable, nor do we like to stand up and battle it out. But the interesting fact is that Jesus says you don't have to. All you have to do is realize where I am. I am standing next to you on your right hand. I have the position of power and victory. There is victory in Jesus. We do not have to sin. It's always too soon to give up. If something is plaguing you, you really need to get back committed to the Lord Jesus and let Him give you the victory and the power over that temptation. Don't sell out your eternal reward for a moment of sin. I will set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Our fulfillment is only possible when our foundational security a marriage, not in our financial status, not in the warm fellowship of a church, which is wonderful, not in the fact that you've got beautiful children, not in the fact that you are loved. It cannot be. Those things can be removed from you. It has to be in the foundational security of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 6.3.6 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. He is the same yesterday, as He was today, as He will be tomorrow. The same God of Abraham is the same God that we worship today. We're facing a war now. Wars will come. They have come. You've seen people die. I've seen people die. Babies will be born. Things will change. Our financial status will go up and down. But we can be fulfilled and not shaken when we set the Lord always before us, seeing Him for who He is, our God and Savior, full of power and victory. Then we can stand before God, being confident and secure that we are doing what He wants us to do and becoming what He wants us to become. Let's quickly turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. When the Lord calls us home. This is my prayer for each one of us. I have fought the good fight, Lord. I have finished the race, Lord. And Father, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I have set the Lord before me always, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Maybe there are some of you today 
who have experienced some shaking. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you would like to experience the joy it is to be a child of God. Maybe you have things in your heart that you need to settle with the Lord. Perhaps you need to dig a stake into your own commitment and vow before the Lord, teach me to have that consciousness of your presence. Perhaps there's a sin that you need to ask God to forgive or an offense with some of the brethren that you need to go and correct. As Jeff comes and Pastor Bennett would like to give you an opportunity to come. Now we know from the, the life account of Moses that he was 40 years in Pharaoh's court learning to... Uh, basically learning to be the next Pharaoh because he was known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And God had given him the understanding that he would deliver Israel and he took that into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian where he, we saw them mistreating the Israelites. And so he spent the next 40 years in the desert and that was the time when God really prepared him for the work that he had to do. And we go on to read that he was, he was basically in overtime. Moses had written that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we had the strength. But Moses really didn't begin his ministry until he, he was basically living longer than he expected any man to live from what he wrote. And yet in those years he, he accomplished the greatest feat in human history. He led two million men through the desert. So along with women and children there was probably something like six million people that he led through the desert. But the point was that that, that that 40 year period God taught him was because of the fact that he didn't do it God's way. He killed the Egyptian. He thought he would be the saviour of Israel. And God prepared him for the fact that, that God wanted him to be the saviour of Israel his way. And we see the, the same with Abraham and Ishmael. And we, you know, we have this Gulf crisis now because because basically of Abraham not waiting for the fulfilment of the promise of God. So it's, it's essential that we wait for God's timing. When God has given us a promise and we're claiming it, we, we wait for him, we don't snatch hold of it. So it's essential that we, we do it the way God wants it done and we wait for God's timing in doing it. We have a four-year-old son, Michael, and we've planted some tomato bushes tomato bushes in the back of our yard <laughs> and he came running in with one of those little green tomatoes tomatoes <laughs> and as, as you look at that fruit you know it's perfect it's uh, for where it is in its stage of development it's perfect but it's green you can't eat it and if you eat it you'll get sick so the value of that fruit and its usefulness depends on the timing and it's and it's the the fact that it's it's just ripe and ready to be picked so timing on decisions is equally as important important as direction psalm 27 verse 14 says wait for the lord be strong let your heart take courage 
Yes, wait for the Lord. And it does take courage to wait for the Lord, just to wait on his timing. I want to go now back to the second point of doing what God wants me to do. I believe God wants us to be involved in what he is doing. That's the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.10 says, Paul is writing, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And as we saw this morning in Isaiah 43 verse 10, where we are witnesses that we may know and believe him and understand that he is God, in the same way God wants us involved in his kingdom so that we can know who he is and his wonderful plan of salvation for all of the earth, that he's the God that loves and saves and gives and is the provider of everything that we have, that he's eternally perfect and holy. We need, we need to be involved in the kingdom of God so that we can know God. Otherwise, again, we're just out of step with what God is doing. We're not fitting into his, his perfect plan for us. And part of this is obedience. We need to obey him. John 14 verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So along with the obedience comes the depth of relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. It's an integral part of fellowship with God. And then we need to follow Jesus' example. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do we want to be fishers of men? That verse promises, Follow Jesus and I will make you fishers of men. He will do that. We are living in the midst of the greatest rescue operation of all time. There is war raging all about us and many of us don't even know it. You know, it's the war of salvation, of saving souls. There was a story of a fellow in the army, in the British army, and his name was Paddy. And uh, the lieutenant came, a lieutenant came along and said, uh, Gentlemen, we're outnumbered three to one. We're about to go over the top. It's going to be tough, but I want you to fight your hardest. So the whistle blew and they all went over the top and the, the battle was raging and the lieutenant looked around and here was Paddy standing beside a tree puffing on a cigarette. And he, he looked puzzled at this fellow standing up there, bullets whistling into the tree all around him. And he, he crawled over and pulled him down and says, Paddy, what do you think you're doing? He's puffing on his cigarette and he says, I've shot my three. Well, he didn't realise that the battle might endanger his own life. And that's what we need to keep in mind, is, is that we're in the battle not just for the cause, but we're in the battle for our own life. I'd like to read Matthew, or I won't read it actually, Matthew 24 talks about the last days, the things that we can expect to see in the last days. And as we do read through that, you might care to read it later and just examine what's happening in the world today in light of that passage of scripture. In 1989 there were over 600 earthquakes. There is pestilence 
running rampant in the world. AIDS is out of control in many countries. Wars are consuming our national resources right now. There are wars in many, many countries. Many are claiming to be the saviour. Some are claiming to be the Christ. We're seeing that in our own generation, in our own day. There are famines. Over the last four years, more people have starved than any other period in history. And yet the world has abundant resources to feed its population. Yet, on the other side, there are people coming into the kingdom of God in unprecedented numbers. During a period of four weeks in Kenya, there were two plane loads of American evangelists from two churches in Texas and they led 56,322 people to Christ. There are revivals in Poland, in Romania, following the political liberation of those two countries. There have been 36 million decisions for Christ as a result of the Jesus film, which is based on Luke's Gospel. That's one decision for Christ every 10 seconds. God is really working in our world. The film has been televised from Hong Kong, reaching 100 million people in the region. There's revival in Brazil, in New Zealand, in Salvador and Bulgaria. In India, Billy Graham preached a message entitled The Cradle, the Cross and the Crown to an untold audience of that country, a television audience. That was on Christmas Eve. Now when we were in India, we, we, uh, we had to be very careful about any witnessing we did. You know, we might win the person to Christ, but we could endanger the whole work. And yet Billy Graham was invited to show that film on the invitation of the Indian government and at the Indian government's expense. And that's, that's what God's doing. <laughs> that's just exciting. So the battle for souls is hotting up. In fact, it may not be too long before it's all over. But it's on right now. I'd like to read Revelation 7 verse 9. This gives us a picture of the completion of the Great Commission. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Here we see it before the throne, people from every nation and tribe and people and tongue, people and language standing before the throne. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. God will see to that. Here it is in Scripture. The question is whether or not we get to be part of the process. In order to be part of the process, there are a number of things that we need to be. Firstly, we need to be born again. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. By receiving Jesus Christ, 
we become the sons of God. First Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Basic qualifications for enlistment in the Lord's army. Now we may be involved in church, we may be involved in a fellowship group, but unless we have personally invited Jesus Christ to come into our life, we're not involved in what the Lord is doing. The second thing we need is we need equipment. Romans 15:14 says, I myself am con- convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now we see in that verse three areas, full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now goodness we saw this morning from 1 Timothy 1.5 is that the, the aim of our charge is love which issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And that goodness relates to our character. Is in our character and in our heart and in our relationship with God we need to be personally qualified in order to be used of him. We, we had the illustration of the clean vessel. We need to just be the clean vessel. We don't, we don't have to be a long way down the track before God can start using us. We just need to be available today, just, just right now, because he's given us the gifts. He's given us our testimony. Revelation 12.11 says about Satan, it says, and they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, which is the gospel, and, and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And we have the gospel of Christ. We've overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the gospel of Christ, by our word, the word of our testimony. We each have a testimony if we've received Christ and, and by our commitment, for they love not their lives even unto death. And we have those three powerful weapons at our disposal which defeat the enemy. Goodness is to do with our character. Secondly, complete in knowledge. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, the King James says. Although we're, although we're, we're made clean, we have the right character, we're working on our character, we also need to know the word of God, just so that we can use it. Someone will come up and say, well, you know why I'm not a Christian? Too many hypocrites in the church. Well, how do we answer a, a, uh, an objection like that if we, if we don't know the scriptural answer to that? Well, how can God be such a loving God and allow the things that happen in the world? The Bible has answers to this. And in order to, to, to meet people's needs and to minister to them just, just one-on-one, then we need, to, we need to look at the Bible, study the Bible, and find out what the answers to those questions are. We need complete in knowledge. Second, competent to instruct one another. We need to have the ministry skills. Sherry and I spent about an hour just memorising and learning a little gospel illustration that we could draw out. If we were sitting in a restaurant, we could draw it on the napkin. If we were sitting in an aeroplane, we could draw it on the, the back of the something they give you in the aeroplane. And uh, it was just something that we had with us all the time. And, uh, and we've seen God use that. When there's been situations where we haven't had a gospel tract or we haven't even had a Bible, because we've memorised that little gospel presentation, 
God is able to use it. It's something that, that we have and, and it gives us confidence too. If there's somebody that wants to know how to become a Christian, if we talk to them and yes, they'd like to accept Christ, then, then we can show them what to do. And we can get up to that situation. And the time investment wasn't much, but it, we need to have ministry skills. And, and that's, that's what ministry skills are. It's just learning how to, how to minister. Thirdly, we need to have commitment. I'd like to read a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 to 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. We have three pictures here of people in professional life. Firstly is the soldier. The soldier is fighting for his own life, so he'll keep his gun clean. He'll keep his kit in order. He'll just, he'll just really work at being a soldier. Because if he loses his own life, it doesn't matter to him what happens in the rest of the battle. He's fighting for his own life. And then he's fighting for the cause. He's fighting for the cause of Christ. Then we see the exhortation here to be free from civilian pursuits. If he's going to be a folk, uh, if he's going to be a, a soldier, he needs to be focused. He needs to know this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm working on winning this battle and not worrying about a whole lot of other things. He needs to be free of civilian pursuits in order to be a soldier. Then the athlete, he needs to run according to the rules. Again, in 1 Timothy 1.5, the, the aim of our... The, the aim of our charge is love, which issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. These are God's rules and we need to, we need to run according to the rules, according to the way the word of God says we are to lead the Christian life. The farmer will receive first share of the crops. In Australia right now there, there are many farmers going broke simply because they happen to plant the wrong crops. We've had droughts and we've had floods and, and they've, they've planted uh, soya bean instead of wheat or the other way around and, and, and it's been a disastrous decision for them. And we face that in the Christian life as we have a choice of the crops that we plant. And I was sharing this morning about my business involvement. It's, you know, I'm getting a crop in the area of business but it's, it's really hindering what I can do in other areas where I want to see fruit. And I'd, I'd hate to be 10 years down the track and look back and, and say, yeah, Lord, I've, I've sown in the wrong area. You know, no matter, no matter 
how earnest my prayers to God are, the crop won't change. Sure, he'll forgive me, he'll give me the opportunity to start planting in a new crop, but the fact is I've sown in that area and that's where I'll reap the fruit. So as we reflect on the things that we're doing now, are we, are we, really, are we really sowing a crop which is what we want to see reaped down the line, two to three years down the line or longer? The fourth thing we need is communication. Jesus Christ is the commander-in-chief. He is the one to be kept out front. Sherry's going to share in this area in just a moment. I'd like to just read Philippians 2, 9-11. to That says, Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sherry. Have you ever had a verse branded into your heart? One that God just keeps bringing back to you over and over again. You can't escape it. It's just there. It just haunts you. You wake up thinking about it. Well, get your Bible. Let's turn to Psalm 16.8. This is one that God has just brought to me over and over again. He has burned it into my heart until I can hardly stand it. It says, I have set the Lord before me always. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now when you start thinking about that verse, and you start dissecting it, and God begins to open it up and show it to you, it grips you. There's four things that the Lord brought to my attention. One is our focus. Secondly is our fragrance. Thirdly, is His faithfulness. And the fourth thing is our fulfillment. Our focus. I have set the Lord always before me. Now you and I both know that the Lord is always with us. Hebrews 13.8 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I thought about that, I thought, how can the Lord never leave me? Now that's a staggering thought. He says, I will never leave you. You and I both know that there's times that we feel like God is not even in Texas. We're here and He's not even in Texas. I feel so far away from the Lord. There's sometimes I pray and I feel that my prayers don't even get out over the ceiling. How can the Lord... Always be near me. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. The Bible says that he knows when I walk. He saw me walk across the room. He knows when I sit. You too. He knows every one of you are sitting here. He knows when we stand up. In fact, he even knows what you're going to say before you even say it. He knows how many hairs there are on your head. And when you lose a hundred in a day, that's a lot of counting, isn't it? The Lord is always with us, whether we feel it or not. The interesting part to this verse, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the podium right here. Now, when I move away, where is it? It's right here, but it's not in front of me. Now, how can the Lord be always with me and I be moving around? I have set the microphone (laughs) always before me. Is that okay? Is that okay? Stand closer. Okay. How can I set the Lord always before me and move around? It's interesting. This word is actional. I have set the Lord before me. Now, He is always with me. He has a consciousness of my presence. Today, when we were sitting here, I was not aware of very many children at all. You know why? Because they're not my children. But every mother in this room knows where their children are, especially if they're sitting right next to them and being naughty. You know the presence of the child, whether you're looking at them or not. Now, God knows where we are. He has that consciousness about us because we are His children. He also uh, has our His presence with us. Now that's factual. Why is it we do not have a consciousness about His presence? It's because it has to be a stake driven into our heart, a commitment of our mind. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord before me always. We have to drive a stake into the ground. Lord, teach me to have a consciousness of the reality of your presence with me always. So wherever I move, you're there. And I'm aware of your presence. I tell you, that so grips me. It will revolutionize our whole life. If we can develop such a God consciousness about us that we feel His presence wherever we are. It's a point of will. I have set the Lord always before me. Not only is God near us, but He is our filter. Acts 17.28 says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. So God is with us. He is 
our presence, but he's also our filter. We filter everything through the Lord. It's like a shield. He surrounds us. When I have a problem or there's something on my heart, I filter it through the Lord. When the world approaches me, when it calls me to sin or to immorality or to stealing or theft or lies, I filter that through the Lord. And if it says in his Bible, I don't do that, we learned this morning to love the Lord is to obey his commands. So God is our filter. The world filters through God to us. I filter my life through him. The key to materialism. The key to, Lord, why do I do? I'm not married. The key to, what career do I pursue? All of that goes through the Lord. God also determines our priority. If you remember in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Be careful. It's the little decisions that will get you. Be careful what you say yes to because you might be saying no to something very, very important. It's a, it's a challenge to me when someone approaches me about doing something that I stop and I pray about it. If you don't have time to stop and pray about it, perhaps you need to be brave enough to say, well, thanks for asking me, but I need to pray about this. That's not a cop-out. That's filtering our life and our decision through the Lord. And it's those little decisions that will transform the major objective of your life. Little by little, you'll just get off the track. Pretty soon, you're following in a direction you never intended to go. Take time to pray over your decisions and wait on God. Like Jeff was saying, timing is so important. God is also the focal point of our life. Hebrews 12.2 says, and I love this verse. In the King James it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Another translation says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to run our Christian life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. How else are we going to finish the race? We don't know where we're going. Unless we're looking at Jesus and He is our target, we'll get sidetracked, not only with the little decisions we make, but also we won't have clear direction of where we're going. The only way to finish the race without a lot of detours is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And it's interesting, we sit here as husband and wife, as son and daughter, but you know, when we go to heaven, we will not stand before the Lord as husband and wife, nor sons and daughters of my parents. I stand before the Lord as who I am, and I will answer to the Lord for what I have done. Not, I, I won't get off on Jeff's good behavior, 
or because I was married to Jeff, that has nothing to do with it. I stand before the Lord on who I am and what I've done for the Lord. We need to work on our own deep relationship with the Lord. The strength of your church and the strength of our church is dependent on the individual believers having their own individual walk with God. Your pastors can't do it all. The needs are so great. There's a whole world out there. And it starts with the individual believer meeting those needs. That was our focus. Now let's change our thoughts to our fragrance. We do have an aroma. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Listen to this. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, but to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, we speak. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. We are men and women sent from God to stir up life or death to those we meet daily. I was sharing with you this morning about my uncle who came to Christ. Everywhere you go, you meet people. And it's a challenge to me to wonder, what am I stirring up in them? Am I stirring up life? Do they have a sense that there's something different about me and they would like to know what it is? Do I remind them that they're headed toward hell? Boy, what a challenge. You know, that's, that's why we need to take every opportunity we can to share Christ. We need to have a mindset to do that. But a warning. Be careful that your life is genuine and full of integrity because you represent the King of Kings. He compromises not. He is true and pure, and that is what we should be. What you are on the inside will eventually come forth and show what you really are like. So Lord God, make me pure with a life of integrity. We have a friend in Australia <clears throat> who went to the gas station to fill his car up. And like everyone else, he got real impatient. It's probably an off day. <laughs> but he became very short with the man who was serving him and was irritated with him and, and sounded off. And then he got in the car and drove off. Well, no sooner had he driven a little ways, but the Spirit of God convicted him. He turned the car around, went back, and he said to the man, I'd like to ask your forgiveness for being 
unkind, irritated, and would you forgive me for that? Well, the guy could not handle that. He said, never in my life have I had anyone who came back and apologized to me. Who are you? (laughs) What are you? (laughs) And it wasn't long before our friend had he and his wife into Bible study. She became a Christian. No, sorry, he became a Christian first. From the testimony of this man, he was so attracted by this man. What is it? Fragrance of life. And then his wife became a Christian. You know, we just don't kind of take our Sunday school clothes off and that's it. All throughout the week, you are, you are emitting a testimony. What kind of testimony that is, I don't know. But let's make it one that convicts the non-Christians that they are missing something. And to those Christians who know the Lord, let's encourage them by our life of purity and integrity. I have another friend, Janet. I know some of you love to go shopping. Janet doesn't really enjoy shopping. And what she does is she prays, Lord, if there's somebody that you would like for me to meet today that I need to meet, perhaps to encourage or, you know, you have a plan for me, then arrange it. And she has said to me that most times that she has prayed that prayer, God has brought someone along. Whether it was a Christian who needed encouragement, whether it was an opportunity to share the gospel. And ladies, when you're sitting in that chair and that woman is doing your hair and you're paying her, get every opportunity you can in for the gospel. What's our verse? Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand. What? I will not be shaken. Let's look at the next part because he is at my right hand. We're going to go from the general, from focusing on God, down to the very specific. The significance of this line, because he is at my right hand, is in the position. It's found partly in his faithfulness. The position that he holds is one of love. We talked a lot about that this morning. God is love. He is purely love. He is not a tyrant, but a loving Father. The fact of God's love never changes. Psalm 21.7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. The unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. His position is one of love. His second position is one of power. It's the position of power. 2 Corinthians 20 verse 6 says, O Lord, God of all fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. That's the position that he holds beside us. 
I will set the Lord always before me. He is near me, and I will establish my mindset for the reality of his consciousness. I will walk knowing that he is with me all the time. Because he is at my right hand, he owes the power of love and he owes, sorry, he has the power of power and love, the position of power and love is what I wanted to say. Psalm 20 verse 6 talks about the saving power again of his right hand. Then Jeremiah 32:27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? God, through Jesus Christ, stands at our right hand. Now, the Bible says we're going to have problems. There are going to be times when you think the absolute roof has fallen in. That you see no way out. Hold on to that verse. Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? There is absolutely no problem that God cannot handle. The position he holds at our right hand is one of power, love, and strength. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Not long before Christmas, some friends of ours, little girl was walking across the road. The bus stopped at the wrong side of the road, let her go across the road on a very busy highway, and a car hit her. She was knocked unconscious. And when we went to see her, there was not a place on her whole body except on her little hand that you could touch. It was full of just tubes and machines and all kinds of things. Only seven years old. Now Jeff and I had the privilege of standing beside these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord while their little girl, they did not know, would live or die. In the morning they saw her and she was perfect. When they got word, she was unconscious, bruised, But did you know, not once did their strength in the Lord fail. Not once did they say, Lord, this is too much. I can't handle this. They took this verse literally apart. Because the Lord is, I will set the Lord always before me. And they did that. Boy, they turned their eyes on Jesus. Because he is at my right hand. And they did that. They needed his strength. They needed his power of healing. They needed his love. And today, people prayed for that little girl all over the world. In the United States, in England, in Australia. And she woke up. Jesus has the power and the position of victory. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 
And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not been seized by temptation, you will. That's a promise. But it's interesting. We do not like to be uncomfortable. And when Satan keeps bringing the temptations back, boy, we just do not like to be uncomfortable, nor do we like to stand up and battle it out. But the interesting fact is that Jesus says you don't have to. All you have to do is realize where I am. I am standing next to you on your right hand. I have the position of power and victory. There is victory in Jesus. We do not have to sin. It's always too soon to give up. If something is plaguing you, you really need to get back committed to the Lord Jesus and let Him give you the victory and the power over that temptation. Don't sell out your eternal reward for a moment of sin. I will set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Our fulfillment is only possible when our foundational security
a marriage, not in our financial status, not in the warm fellowship of a church, which is wonderful, not in the fact that you've got beautiful children, not in the fact that you are loved. It cannot be. Those things can be removed from you. It has to be in the foundational security of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 6.3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. He is the same yesterday as he was today, as he will be tomorrow. The same God of Abraham is the same God that we worship today. We're facing a war now. Wars will come. They have come. You've seen people die. I've seen people die. Babies will be born. Things will change. Our financial status will go up and down. But we can be fulfilled and not shaken when we set the Lord always before us, seeing Him for who He is, our God and Savior, full of power and victory. Then we can stand before God, being confident and secure that we are doing what He wants us to do and becoming what He wants us to become. Let's quickly turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. When the Lord calls us home, this is my prayer for each one of us. I have fought the good fight, Lord. I have finished the race, Lord. And Father, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I have set the Lord before me always. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Maybe there are some of you today who have experienced some shaking. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you would like to experience the joy it is to be a child of God. Maybe you have things in your heart that you need to settle with the Lord. Perhaps you need to dig a stake into your own commitment and vow before the Lord. Teach me to have that consciousness of your presence. Perhaps there's a sin that you need to ask God to forgive or an offense with some of the brethren that you need to go and correct. As Jeff comes, and Pastor Bennett would like to give you an opportunity to come forward.